The killing of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer and the subsequent protest have brought to the forefront a renewed conversation on black lives and the injustices BIPOC folks face each day. But this time, will there be change? I'm J.R. Jameson. And I'm Kelsey Timmerman. Today on The Facing Project, we'll discuss living while black in the USA. On June 3rd, the day before 2,000 people marched for Black Lives in Muncie, in the abandoned dress barn at the mall, the Muncie community held a forum with local leaders, including the mayor, chief of police, and other city and county officials. Everyone on the panel was white. As the event came to a close, Watasha Barnes-Griffin stepped to the mic, and our community listened. In our first season, we shared Watasha's story from facing racism in Muncie, Indiana. We want to re-air that story today. In the story, Watasha shared her experience of being called the N-word for the first time as a young child while she played with her white friend. Now, she's a mother of a 16-year-old black man, a community leader, and the executive director of our local YWCA, where she works each day to empower women and fight racism. And later in the show, we'll share what she had to say on that day in the dress barn, and then she'll join us to talk about her work. First, we want to acknowledge that we are two white men. Typically, each episode we banter back and forth about experiences we've had related to a topic or share some of our thoughts and research. But sometimes, we as people and as a society just need to listen. Now is the time we need to listen to black voices, their lived experiences, the injustices they've faced, and their fears. Even though our show is listened to outside of our hometown, we want to center the experiences of black voices in our community. It's important to start hyperlocal, so that's where we want to begin. But as a listener, we encourage you to think about your own community and how the stories you hear today apply to you and your town. It Shouldn't Matter by Watasha Barnes-Griffin, as told to Seth Carrier-Ladd, performed by Amanda Hummer. Madeline, what you doing? That was the moment everything changed. Madeline was my best friend. We'd known each other since we met in kindergarten, delighted when we figured out that we lived across the street from each other. We noticed, of course, that our skin was a different color. Madeline's white, mine black. But that didn't matter to me. And it didn't matter to her. I mean, we noticed, right? After we became friends, we asked, can I touch your skin and see if it feels different? Which it didn't, really. And of course, can I touch your hair? Which did actually feel different. But outside of those natural curiosities that any kid of that age has, we pretty much just played. Now, I didn't play with Madeline all of the time. Our street was the dividing line. So I always had to choose out the front door to the white neighborhood or out the back door to the black. Two doors in one house, in my house, each door leading to a totally different kind of place. I liked both, safe and at home with my black friends out back, different and interesting white friends out front. My black friends didn't understand. Why you wanna hang out with the white kids, they would ask. Madeline's my friend, I would respond and leave it at that. My grandmother, she'd have white friends over for dinner every so often. And our pastor, he talked all the time at church about how important it was to have friends of every color. And we went to the same school 
as all these white kids. So their questions didn't even make sense to me. Of course I wanted to hang out with Madeline. She was my friend. I didn't get it. Truthfully, the difference I noticed more between me and Madeline was about class. Madeline's folks were poor as could be, despite living on the white side of the street. And while we weren't well off at my grandmother's house, we always had enough. We always had everything we needed, and we certainly had more than enough love. You could see the difference just looking at our two houses, plunked down between two more well-kept houses, a green one on one side and a yellow one on the other. Madeline's dark gray-colored house looked worn. It had a light gray picket fence around its front yard, with the paint flaking and chipped off in places, and the yard was all dirt. No grass in Madeline's front yard, just dirt. Dirt and two green metal chairs that rocked a bit when you sat in them. And the front porch, can't forget that porch. Covered in junk, end to end from who knows where. Our house, on the other hand, was proud. Two stories of brick with a well-kept front yard, nice pine shrubs on either side of front steps, pillars on the front porch, and of course, a few pieces of nice patio furniture. The class difference showed in other ways, too. The way we dressed, for example, my clothes were usually in better shape. Now, we didn't care. We played in Madeline's dirt front yard with the green chairs just as often, if not more, than when we played on the nice front porch at my grandmother's house. And we didn't talk about clothes. But we noticed. Or at least I did. Sometimes I would ask my mama, Mom, you know those shoes I don't wear anymore? Can I give them to Madeline? She really needs some shoes. It only made sense. Madeline was my friend, and she needed stuff. And I had stuff that I wasn't using. And so we continued merrily on our way. It wasn't perfect. No friendship ever is. We had our little fights and disagreements, but never about the color of our skin. And we always worked it out. Kindergarten through fourth grade was pretty great. And then one day, everything changed. It was a nice sunny day. We were sitting out in Madeline's dirt front yard near those green metal chairs, that peeling gray picket fence. We were sitting there playing with dolls, white baby dolls. Two little girls playing, not a care in the world. And then some white man I didn't know, a friend of the neighbors in the yellow house. He shouted out, Madeline, what you doing? Just playing. Why you playing with a nigger? This isn't a nigger, this is Tasha. Looking back, I'm glad that white man didn't push it any further. He just walked away, and Madeline asked, What's a nigger? He's talking about black people. And we left it at that. Now, I don't know if Madeline talked to her parents, but I talked to my mom as soon as I got home and told her what happened. It made me feel bad, Mom. It hurt my feelings. Oh, honey, some people are just like that. Some people see color instead of seeing people for who they really are. In our family, we treat people the way they want to be treated, with kindness, love, and respect. You're beautiful, you're smart, 
You're intelligent. You're my Tasha. But sometimes other black people call each other nigger. Why do they do that? They shouldn't do it, honey. No one should ever call each other by that name. What she didn't say to me then was as important as what she did. She didn't tell me, no more going back over there to play with Madeline. She never said, you stay away from the white side of the street. She just explained and supported. And so the next day, back I went to play dolls again with my best friend. I've never forgotten, though, before I knew about black and white. After, black and white meant black and white. The thing is, I've never really changed. I've experienced my fair share of racism, so much so, in fact, that I usually just tune out the consistent, regular, repetitive, low-level stuff. But the color of a person's skin still doesn't matter to me. I see it. I know it makes a difference. I talk to my two Black children about how America treats them differently as a Black person, because I have to. But when I meet people, skin color is one of the last things I notice. Just like with Madeline, I see people, I see human beings, I see my friends. Skin color shouldn't matter. That's the way it should be. We have to keep putting in the work to make it so. We want to welcome Latasha to the show. Latasha, hearing your story again, what advice would you give to that little girl about the world she would grow up in? If I could give advice to that little girl, I would just simply tell her to um, just use her voice for good, um, use her voice to bring people together and not tear them apart and to continue just to be a light. So, Tasha, that's that's uh, fantastic. And, and, and you know, now you're a mother. That little girl's grown up. And as a mother and community leader, you took the mic recently and your, your voice quivering with emotion and a mask hanging from your ear. And you addressed um, our community and, and, at a, and our leaders at a forum on racial injustice. Can you kind of set the scene for us a little bit, describe like the feel of the room and who was on the panel and what you thought and felt as you started to speak? Um, so we had that, that fault that prior Monday, um, um, our city leaders had reached out to some of the leaders in our African-American community to kind of come together to discuss um, the issues that had arisen with the George Floyd murder and just to present a united front to our community um, to share that we would not tolerate um, um, any acts of racism, overt racism um, in that manner. And so we collectively decided that we would hold this forum. And um, as we begin to build the agenda um, there became a point in the time when there would, would be an opportunity for closing remarks, and um, I was just asked if I would be willing to provide those remarks, and there was no really a direction on how we would close it out, and so I just felt as we were in the room, um, and, and I have been just, I journal a lot, and so I write down feelings and thoughts, and so I had been just, you know, 
brainstorming and stewing over some of those things. And so they were there with me on my iPad. And so that room, um, I think the folks in the room were really um, allies and folks who are, were, are really committed to um, standing up for social justice and stopping those injustices. And so um, the room at that moment just felt right. And I did not have a plan to, to really come with all of those things. But as I got up to begin to share that closing and just to say thank you, um, I wasn't able to do so. I had to really ask those those questions of, you know, do Black lives matter? Do they really matter? Um, and I just thought that was just that prime time. And so um, as a leader standing up there, as a mother, you know, um, as a Black woman, it, it just it just came. And so I just went with it. And, and kind of who was on the panel behind you? So so the panelists were, we had um, um, Tony Skinner, who was the sheriff, Delaware County um, sheriff. We had um, the CEO of Muncie Community Schools, Dr. Kwiatkowski. There was our prosecutor, Mr. Huffman. There was Ball State Police, um, Duckman, Duckham, Jimmy Duckham our mayor, Dan Ridenauer, um, um, police chief Sloan, Nate Sloan. There was also, um, da, 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 da. there was the Yorktown um, police chief was up there as well. And then there was a representative from um, Ball State's, the president's office, and her name was Roanne Engle. She wasn't sitting there, but she was definitely a panelist. And then the moderator was um, Pastor Robert Scaife, who leads our um, Collective Coalition of Concerned Clergy. And then a, a few of the clergy members were doing Q&A. Um, Pastor Andre Mitchell with Deliverance Temple, a Black church in our community. And then Pastor Andrew Draper with Urban Light, who pastors a uh, multiracial um, church on the south side of town. So, and then so, we also had Yvonne Thompson with Human Rights, who was kind of managing um, the social media aspect, aspect of that, that, that forum. So you step to the mic and, you, and your plans aren't necessarily to, you know, you're kind of just going to go up there and at first say like, hey, thanks for coming. There's still more work to be done. And then, I mean, you can, I can tell at the beginning, like your heart is beating pretty hard. Like you turn around and you're not just, you're not just addressing the audience but you turn around and address the the panelists. I mean, so was none of that was planned. It just like happened in the moment. It, it was not planned. Um, it wasn't planned at all. And I just thought that, yes, you know, when you address an audience, you know, you're talking to the people that are in front of you. But I knew that there were people behind me as well. So I needed to make sure that they also got to, to see my face and, and hear my voice directly. And because they are leaders in our community, I knew that it would be important for them to... Um, hear, hear from someone who's directly affected that they also know on a personal level and they, they know me through the community. And so um, I, I know they know me with Tasha as the CEO of the YWCA and doing these particular things in our community. But I needed them to, at that moment to see me as Watasha, um, a black and brown woman who has a black son and who, you know what I mean? I needed them to see mm -hmm. that. And so I think that is what caused me to really pause and, and really to focus in on them and to think think about black lives and, and how we really matter and so yeah not not planned at all it just yeah 
Yeah. Well, your message was really powerful and it was shared over and over on social media. And some of our listeners may have not gotten the chance to hear your message. And so we want to share that with them now. And we want to give thanks to Mark Slusher from Endpoint Creative for capturing your moment and for giving us permission to use his recording. Black lives matter. Black Lives matter. Black lives matter. They matter. But do they really, really matter to you? They, they can't without relationships. So let me tell you just a little bit about me. My name is Watasha Barnes Griffin. I'm the CEO of the YWCA here in Muncie. Our mission is to eliminate racism and empower women. I'm the president of the Muncie chapter of Indiana Black Expo, and our mission is to be an effective voice and vehicle for the advancement of black folks. MLK Dream Team, I'm a member, and our job is to hold Dr. King's dream live and true, and make sure that our civil rights are protected and upheld. Just a little black girl grew up across town on Five Points, Macedonian First Street, with my mom, my grandmother. My mom was a single, girl, single woman. My mom and dad were 16 and 17 when they got pregnant with me, walking across the high school stage with me in my mom's belly. Out the front door of my house, was the white community. Out my grandmama's back door was the black community. I was always interested in what was out front and how white folks lived because I kind of knew what it was for us. I'm the daughter of a black man, the sister to three, big sister to three black boys, black cousins, uncles, nephews, grandparents, Friends, colleagues, black men. I'm the wife of a hardworking, honest black man, Shaka Griffin, right here. I'm the mama to a 13-year-old little black and brown girl, Sanaya. But I am the mother of a 16-year-old black male child, a young black man. The day I pushed my baby boy out of my belly, he was guilty from the color of his skin. Guilty by the color of his skin. And so every day since he was born, we've been teaching him how to live. And I had to write it down because I got to tell you what it was. Black men dying unjustly every day across our country at the hands of law enforcement. And then we black and brown mamas is left to pick up the pieces. The list of black and brown people dying at the hands of the police continues to get longer and longer. The list gets longer and longer. No, we've not had any deaths in months yet. Is there injustice here? Yes. 
Is there racism, Muncie? Yes. It's here. It absolutely exists. So when my son was one, our son, and he's 16 now, little Shaka, don't wear that do-rag outside. Little Shaka, you can't have that hood on when you're out, when you're out there. If you go in that grocery store and you don't, if you ain't buying it, don't touch it. And if you do buy it, make them give you a receipt. Even if it is a little pack of gum, get a receipt. When you're out in your car, don't play the music too loud. If you go to McDonald's with your homies, don't be in there getting smart and throwing ketchup packets because they might think something, right? If you get pulled over by the police, comply. Just do what they ask. Don't say nothing extra. Ask the police if you have permission to get your ID out. Matter of fact, don't leave the house without your ID. But ask them. Put your hands up and then ask them if you can get your ID out. I need you, whether it's right or wrong, to come home safely. If they've mistreated you in any kind of way, we'll handle that once you get home, but we need you to get home. Check in with your people. I don't care if you're just down the street, we need to know where you're at. Keep your phone. Lay it down beside you. Turn it on if you need to. Is that freedom? Now. He says, Mom and Daddy, y'all been telling this for, to me for a long time. And I do all that. I don't wear no do-rag. I don't play my music loud. When I'm at school, he don't get in trouble. Good grades. Loves to play football. Wants to take his football career and his academics to get him to college. Really laid back. Very quiet. Big 16-year-old. But he is a sweet giant bear. These teachers can vouch for that. But he said, y'all tell us to do all this stuff. Don't do this, do this, say this to the police, don't say this to the police, I can't wear this. He can't even wear a shirt that even says, I don't know, he can't put two, he can't put, you can't. Pull them pants up, yes sir, no sir, all of those things on a 16 year old boy, just so we can keep him alive. And he says, mama, we do all that, I've been doing all that. Most of us black boys do all that. But we still getting killed. So what am I supposed to do, mom and dad? What am I supposed to tell my son? What am I supposed to tell my son? What can, you, what can you tell my son? Can you promise him that you're gonna make sure he stays safe? Can you please make sure my son stays safe? Their son stays safe? Please, please, in Muncie, please, 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 please. And the last thing I'll say, is if black lives really matter in Muncie, if they really matter in Muncie, here's what we request of you. Don't say you don't see color. When white people say they don't see color, it's an insult. Because our color is what makes us who we are. If you don't see my color, I don't exist. Number two, once the rioting and protests are all over, Y'all get to choose to put your signs down and go back to your everyday life. You get to choose to stay active or completely ignore it. We don't get that choice. It's an everyday fight. Because for black and brown people, 
We don't have a regular scheduled program to get back to. This is our regular scheduled program every day. They said it. Y'all been tired for what? A couple weeks? A couple months? Listening to us? We've been tired and exhausted and waiting for real justice, and it's long overdue. It's long overdue. We are tired of having dialogue over and over and over that leads to no real solutions. We are tired of being pacified. We are tired of empty promises. Most of all, y'all really know about the famous cases that hit the news, and even those happen back to back. But just imagine if you knew how those cases come up on the daily and nothing happens. How do you feel? Do the work. Have some uncomfortable conversations with yourselves, with your kids, with some black and brown people. Diversify your leadership teams. Use fair and equitable hiring practices. Train, train, train. I've heard that all night. Train. The next step must involve rapid and bold changes that address racism in the fundamental ways to reform a broken criminal justice system. Everyone responsible for justice in our legal system must be held accountable. Everyone. Everyone. It ain't just him. Everyone. Commit today to us, the black and brown folks, on paper. You said a lot, but commit paper to pen the plans, the framework. Put those plans in place, but invite us to the table to give you some input as to what we need and how we need it to happen. We demand the leadership of Muncie and Delaware County to work with us to make systematic change, to eliminate racism and injustice. And finally, if black and brown lives really do matter to you, check your heart. Mm -hmm. So Tasha, you ended your talk with like, check your heart. Um, and you know, that stuck with me. I think that we all have been like checking our hearts and looking into ourselves. And um, you know, you address both a heart problem that we have as a nation and society and also a systemic problem. So I kind of have, I have two questions. How do we best fight for change in the system? And then also how do we fight for change in people's hearts? Um, I think we fight for change in the system by really, again, looking at all of those um, entities that play a role in how justice is carried out and how justice is served. So we definitely have to look at our, you know, our, our, city administration if we if we talk muncie but we look at our city administration um how what their makeup is their the, the diversity or the lack of diversity in their leadership um well even even the panel itself behind you was i mean was it i mean other than the moderator was were it all white panelists they were all white panels and so if if i could just share just a little back history when we were um creating the agenda for that um that 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 forum there was a thread where we were all linked together and we we're just kind of setting it up and an, immediately when they brought out the um rough edit edit of that agenda i said where are the black and brown people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
and then they added the, the few. And then I said, where are the women? Where are the women? Oh, oh, okay. Then they added one or two, right? But it even in the setting up of the meeting, um, just the, 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 the structural systemic things that have been embedded into just how we act, think, and move is just so deep. And so I don't think it was a conscious thing. I just think that it was something that wasn't even, not even really thought of. And so it just took someone to say, hey, where, where are the, these voices are missing and they need to be present. And sometimes I feel like I always, I'm like, I oh, mean, I'm always the one that has to open my mouth and say something. But I looked at that. I said, there are no women here. There are no people of color. This, this, the entire purpose of the forum is to talk about, you know, the issues that people of color are facing. So we have to be present. Our voices need to be heard. And then women oftentimes, and I said it to this, this group of folks in this thread that, Black men are being murdered. You know, we are here because of this. And black women are left to pick up the pieces and raise families and, and doing this thing. So our voices have to be a part of that. And so even though you saw that panel and you saw just a few, please know that the voices of us were saying we need to be represented. But we also knew that you can't put something there that's not there. And that is that that panel reflected our community and our in our leadership right now. Yeah. And then, and as for the hearts, how do we, how do we change hearts? Treat the golden rule is to treat people the way you want to be treated. For one, we've learned, we've learned that as, as, as kids, right? Um, but then also there comes a point in time where you, you do have a job and you do have duties that are assigned to you and you have to do those. But at the same time, we cannot lose touch with the human side of us, right? Like that is a huge piece. And so, you know, even right now with this civil unrest across the country, you know, and um, people, black and brown people are protesting and our allies are standing with us and protesting with us. You know, those in power, those who are in leadership are doing all they can to kind of appease and calm us down and settle us down, hoping and this is what history shows is hoping that, you know, things will get back to some sort of normalcy and then we can continue on with, you know, our normal day. But when I say check your heart, do the right thing because it's the right thing. Don't do the right thing because, you know, um, the camera is rolling in and you know that you have to behave in such a way that is positive. But do that if no one else is around. Like, just do the right thing because it's the right thing. And as far as racism, we know that it's, it's, it's not gotten worse it's not gotten widespread it's just now being recorded and it's just been captured more right so there are so many means to be able to show that to the world and to the country and so um yeah it's just a heart check you know treat 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 all of us and each other like it's our mom our sister our brother right you mm -hmm. know what i mean think mm -hmm. about it you know i i engage with people every day that don't look like me but i want to treat them the way I want to be treated, right? And so it's just a check your heart. So you can say a lot of things, you can put a lot of things to paper, we can change policies, we can do a bunch of those things, but none of that can change the heart. So it is a check, check your heart and check your motives. Since the killing of George Floyd, and I want to get back to you had mentioned the, the protests that we're seeing, we're seeing more white people speak out in support of Black Lives Matter and join in those protests in police brutality. 
And while that's good, we also recognize that's not enough. In your opinion, where are white folks still falling short? And I think I said it in my speech is that, you know, white people, we appreciate their support. We appreciate them standing with us and, 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 and joining in to say this is unfair, this is cruel, enough is enough. We need that. But we also need white people to, one, listen to us. We have been saying these things for hundreds of years and no one has listened. So when we don't feel like we're heard, then you start to see protests and riots. People are expressing their anguish in a way that may not be the best. But one thing that we've realized as a black and brown community is that sometimes we need our white allies to speak out because the message may be received better from someone that doesn't look like me. And so we need them. We need that support. But we also recognize that we're black 24 hours a day for the rest of our lives. And some people have the opportunity to step away when they're too tired. You know, it, some people are already feeling like, Oh my gosh, this has been a couple of weeks. I'm exhausted. I'm tired of this. Can we move on? Can we let go of this black lives matter thing? Well, we don't have a chance or the opportunity to kind of walk away from that. This is just what we are and who we will be 24 hours a day. So we don't have, this is our regularly scheduled program, right? We don't get mm -hmm. to just, you know, walk away from it. And, and there are some allies that are there to the end, but there are some when the heat gets too hot, you have the opportunity to decide if I want to stay in the fight or walk away. And so um, I told someone last week that what we need is we need allies we need your support we need your voices we need you at the table speaking for us when you hear things that are not um, positive when you hear or, or observe um, overt race, racism or things that are under you have to use your voice and say hey that's not cool like that's what we need um, people to do allies to do for us um, all the time but we also really you know with that panel it was like okay we're going to get out here and we're going to we're going to have a forum to say that Muncie, Indiana will not tolerate these things. But my, my concern was before we have this forum, before you get out there and say those things, you've not had the opportunity to talk to us, to ask us even what we want you to do for us. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what we need. Listen to us, have conversations with us, and then we make some, some changes. And so today there was a meeting with those same, um, individuals, our, 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 our city administration, our county police, our, our, our city police, um, Ball State admin, uh, Muncie Community Schools, NAACP, Muncie Black Expo, the clergy. Um, we, we met this morning because the black and brown leaders had drafted up a list of things that we're asking all those entities to consider and to make some changes. You know, not things that will happen overnight, but some things that can help to um, reduce systemic racism. And so we met today to, to do that. And so I say that to say that the dialogue continues. There's going to be marches, there's protests, there'll be rallies. But after those things stop, this work continues. And, 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 and we, leaders in this community, have, have, have a, uh, the obligation to our black and brown community. They're reaching out like, what are you all doing? Nothing's happening. It's the same old thing. And we have, we have to answer to them, right? And so because we're held in these, these esteemed positions, um, we have to go to our city leaders and say, 
This is what our community is asking for. And so that's what we're doing now. Um, but we want to come to the table together to like collaborate and to, you know, to do things, not demand, not force, but because it's just the right thing to do. Right. And so we want our, our city leaders and our officials to hear us and to be willing to work with, maybe they can't do everything that we've asked immediately, but, Let's work at it. Don't just deny. Don't just brush it away. But let's work to make sure that Muncie does not become a Minneapolis, that we don't have those those things happen here. A racism happens. Absolutely. But we don't have it doesn't have to to get to the point where we're on the national news for, for something um, like that. Do you think we're at a turning point this time? Based on history. And based on what we've seen in the past, I can really say, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, but, but from the people that we have been engaging with, the hope is there. So we don't lose that hope. And I think that, that we are really at a turning point and it won't be, it will be black and brown people having to stay in the fight and continue to hold our leadership accountable. So we will have to continue to, to be the one, you know what I mean? We hate knock, knock, knock. We're still here. We're still asking for these things. So we, we have realized that we cannot, cannot let go and let up uh, on just equity and justice for all. That's what we want. We're not asking for any, we just want to be safe. I want to be able to send my son out in his car and know that he is safe when he is out there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, That if he is pulled over by an officer that if he's done something wrong, then let like you pay for the things that you've done wrong, but allow him to be able to, to to come home. You know what I mean? Um, If it's my friend or loved one who is look, you know, applying for a position, you know, whether she gets the position or not, based on her skill and not color. You know what I mean? It's those things that we're just asking for, just basic things. Um, so that you enter talk with saying, check your heart, you um, hand back the mic, um, the crowd clears out, you go home. Um, what do your kids tell you about what you said? So my kids, they, they hear me quite a bit so they you know they they were kind of born into this work um and it's great when uh, uh something that you're passionate about in a career kind of come together because the ywca our mission is to eliminate racism and empower women so most folks hear about our you know, work with the homeless women and those who are um, underserved but the focal and the first part of our mission is to eliminate racism and so that that work my kids know that work they were born into that and so they tease me and they call me like you know, Mother, Dr. Coretta Scott, Harriet Tubman, King kind of a thing. Um, so they're used to it. They live it every day, so they they weren't shocked by it. They they Everything that I said are things that we say to them all the time. And that is where I say that it's not freedom when I have to tell my kids, you know, when you go out, make sure you don't, you know, take, take that hoodie off. Don't wear that hoodie in there. Don't play your music too loud say yes, ma'am, say no, sir, you know, don't you sag, you know, um, do not get smart, don't talk back, you know what I mean, you do that, and they've been doing that since birth, so um, they're used to, to, to hearing those things, um, but in this moment, they are a little bit more aware of 
what's happening across the country. You know, they kind of follow it. They hear us talk about it, but they also follow it as well. And I mean, it's frightening. They, they have questions of, of fear of, you know, um, is, is this time, are, are there going to be any other blacks that are going to be killed by the police? Are, are we going to be safe? Um, for me, it's, are people going to be mad at you, mom, and try to retaliate or hurt you for speaking out? And so we have to be honest and have honest conversations with them. And I, I try to tell them as much as possible and to reassure them that Muncie is a, is a safe place to live, that we have really good people here, and that all we're doing is just making sure that the good that we are, that we have in Muncie is just gets a little bit better. So that, you know, you all can be live healthy and happy lives and those that come after you can live the same kind of life. Do you have hope in the youth? Do you see that today's youth are going to be different than our generation? I do have hope in um, today's youth. They are... um, really they're bold they're brave i mean they they use their voice for change they know that they um have have um the power and power and the ability to speak and act and make change um where we were a little hesitant and and not sure and questioned they just they stand up they speak out and i love that and so i think that there is hope with them that's black white they are just willing ready and, and and less tolerant of things than than we have been in um, previous previous eras so yeah i am excited you know even when they were i think the the one of the early um peaceful rallies where destiny Donati and brooke stalling um they they were planning that event i mean they reached out to me and was like hey miss watash can we talk to you about a protest i'm like i don't know how to sh- you can reach out to me we can have a conversation but I'm like, you don't need me. You use your voice. You know what you're feeling. You know what you want to see. So you just get out there and you just do that. And so um, they don't need a lot of pushing, a lot of prodding. They are just, when they see something, they stand up for it or against it. And, and, and they just do that in a, in a bold way. And they just need some support from folks to just encourage them along. But I see a lot of hope with yeah. with. Yeah, that's great. And we really appreciate the example that you're setting for um, the youth, the leaders coming up and for our community in general. So thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be on The Facing Project and sharing your story once again. Thank you. I always love being in the presence of JR and Kelsey and, and The Facing Project. Great things happen with The Facing Project. So thank you. To listen to past episodes of this program, visit indianapublicradio.org slash thefacingproject. From there, you can subscribe to the podcast where you'll get episodes of The Facing Project delivered to your device each month. Listeners can contribute stories or volunteer to share the stories of others with The Facing Project that may appear on the show. More information at facingproject.com slash inspireaction. To continue the conversation about this episode, find us on Facebook at The Facing Project. The Facing Project is recorded at Indiana Public Radio at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, and is produced by Sean Ashcraft. The show is distributed nationally through PRX. We are your hosts, Kelsey Timmerman and J.R. Jameson, and until next time, we wish you the courage to share your own story and the empathy to listen to others. <laughs>